We are born with million dollar minds. Stop hanging around two cent minds. Get with your clique that push you forward. If people are not pushing you forward and applauding and backing you up when you want to go further, they're not your crew. Find your own crew, guys. Hello and welcome to The Daily Helping with Dr. Richard Schuster. Food for the brain, knowledge from the experts, tools to win at life. I'm your host, Dr. Richard. Whoever you are, wherever you're from, and whatever you do, this is the show that is going to help you become the best version of yourself. Each episode, you will hear from some of the most amazing, talented, and successful people on the planet who followed their passions and strive to help others. Join our movement to get a million people each day to commit acts of kindness for others. Together, we're going to make the world a better place. Are you ready? Because it's time for your Daily Helping. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Daily Helping Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Richard, and we have a brilliant guest to share with each and every one of you today. His name is Dr. Rob Kelly. He's a renowned addiction consultant who believes in treating the problems of addiction, not the symptoms. He has worked for years helping addicts and alcoholics recover their lives from the disease of addiction. He's been doing this for over 20 years. He holds a PhD in psychology from Oxford and has a very powerful story as well, which we will get into. Dr. Rob has lectured on the subjects of addiction at high-profile universities, national conferences, business organizations, hospitals. He's been on places like The Doctors and USA Today. And people refer to him as the Gordon Ramsay of the addiction world because it was direct, no-nonsense, and candid approach to treating addiction. We're going to have to talk about that too. Dr. Rob, welcome to The Daily Helping. It is great to have you on the show today. Dr. Richard, thank you so much for having me. I'm looking forward to this. Really excited. As am I. And I want to just say this to my listeners. You know, This is a special episode, and I don't do a lot of these. We are not an addiction show, obviously. We are in the personal development space. So if you're listening to this, we're thinking this isn't for me because you don't have a problem with addiction. That's awesome. But know that statistically speaking, if addiction hasn't touched your life in some way already, statistically speaking, it will. And this episode might help you help a loved one or a dear friend, if not now in the future. So that's why I wanted to have Dr. Rob on with us today to share his wisdom. And Dr. Rob, the Gordon Ramsay of addiction, we'll talk about that. But I'm interested in your story, and I omitted some things specifically from the introduction because I think it's really powerful, and I'd love for you to share it with us. And, and let's please start there. Okay, well, I, I uh, started drinking at the age of nine. Didn't know anything, obviously, about drinking too much. I was back in Liverpool, England, when I was playing in a, uh, a band which included my uncle and auntie. So that's when my alcoholism took off. And that might sound really weird, but it is. You know, it's a predisposition passed on with alcoholism in my family. And so it went for many, many years that it was a Friday, Saturday night, just controllable. But I knew that when I drank, my body and my mind changed. I stopped thinking like other people. So off I went to uh, university and I, I was really intrigued how I couldn't stop drinking. I've tried so many methods, so many treatment centers. So after I graduated, I, I decided that I'm going to spend the rest of my life digging further into what's going on with the alcoholic addicted brain. And, and so I did. But during that time, 
before university, the drinking for me took over that badly that at the, in the end of the day, when everything was said and done, my wife had left. She took my children, my two girls, ages one and three. She, and then she came back and then she kind of evicted me, went to my parents, went to my friends, went to my associates, went to the streets. So I actually lived on the streets for 14 months. And, and when I say that, people go, oh, that couch surfing. No, no, I mean literally sleeping in streets, literally sleeping on benches in parks and under trees. And I spent that for 14 months fighting every single day to stay alive on the streets. And it was absolutely horrific what happened. But it's interesting that you said personal development because our program, the alcohol and drugs, that can be done in one or two days, period. But after that, it's the personal development. It's what we're gonna do now. You know, we have to do it in your own environment, one hour a day, and we move forward. And most people that come to us reunite families, get better jobs or successful jobs, and have a great life because alcohol is only a symptom. It's got hardly nothing to do with the disease. So the question begs is, what is the disease? And that's kind of what we're studying. There's a lots of, of uh, the latest studying that we've done, research and uh, proven methods that I use. That's kind of new to the industry. So not everybody is accepting what I do into the industry, saying that, no, we need to do the stuff we've learned from the 40s and 50s. And I'm going, guys, evidence-based research in my office tells you X, Y, and Z. Well, you've got to look at our percentage. When you're looking at treatment centers at 3% uh, and 12-step rooms at 5%, and we're sitting at 97%, we're doing something right. That's a good teaser because I'm going to go back to your story before we talk into what you're doing differently, because there's a marked difference between living on the streets to getting a PhD and going to Oxford and doing all of the things that you've done. So we kind of glossed over it. Like one moment you're drinking and then now you're doing all these amazing things. How did you get yourself right? Because those tools that you're practicing, you know, weren't formalized yet. So was there a mentor? Did somebody rescue you? Like what, what happened next in that journey? Somebody rescued me. I like, it's like, it was like a spiritual journey for me. It wasn't a God thing. It was a spiritual thing where after about 14 months, two o'clock ish in the morning on Sunday night, Friday, uh, Monday morning, I was stumbling around the back streets of Manchester where hardly anybody go at two or three o'clock in the morning. I dropped down to my hands and knees and I remember looking up to the sky and this is what I said. I said, if there is a God up there, I can't do this on my own anymore. And them words still bring a crackle to my voice after all these years because a guy walked around the corner who'd missed his last bus home from Bible study. He asked me, did I want help? And I said, yeah, I'm dying of untreated alcoholism. And he told me that he was a Christian and alcoholic and that I could go back to his house and I could get well and stay there and seek help. And he had an in with people that run apartments for recovering alcoholics. So right there, there was, there's a thousand things happened to where I am today, but right there was when my life changed. So I always look back and go, it must have been somebody that caused that incident of Derek missing the bus and me falling to my knee, hands and knees on that literally second for us both to come into contact. So that's where it started, which was just absolutely amazing because I would have died on the streets. There's 3% of people in Manchester that come off the streets. 97% of people that find themselves homeless die on the streets. 
So it was that horrific, you know, that it caused a lot of trauma for me in, in coming years and the loss of my children. My, my youngest daughter after, you know, 26, 7, 8, 9, I don't know how long it is, many years, still doesn't talk to me. And that's the price I had to pay for my disease. I mean, it wasn't known then, but first of all, alcoholism is the only self-diagnosed illness in the world. 10 DUIs do not make you an alcoholic. It makes you a heavy drinker. Something happens in my mind and body when I take alcohol. And it's basically, without getting into too much detail, it's the ethanol in the alcohol that reacts to my brain that makes me allergic. But I also have this mental obsession that I can do it one more time and get away with it because I see so many people doing that. And I think, hey, look at me. I'm awesome. In my younger days, I play, I was a musician. I actually played at Abbey Road in London. I played for the bass position of a session musician. I played with Elton John, David Bowie, Queen, all them great guys. I went to Oxford University because I did that. That paid for me to go to university because we, we were living in almost a trailer. You know, it's called a council estate. It was a rough place to live. So I kind of got myself out of that world. So I kind of thought I was a little clever I was pretty good at what I do. And to end up homeless would just be absolutely insane. Well, that's what I was. I was insane at the time. Hey guys, Dr. Richard here. For the past seven years, I've been privileged to bring you incredible guests who are changing the world and can help you become the best version of yourself. I'm really excited to share with you a new quiz that I created based on my clinical training that will curate for you a custom list of my top episodes and actionable strategies to help you wherever you are on your journey. All you need to do is go to drrichardschuster.com to take it, and it's 100% free. You'll be taking the next step on the journey to unlocking the power of you, and I can't wait to see where you'll go. And so, man, there's a lot to unpack in that, but the timing was right and you were rescued by this man. And so before we jump into what you're doing today and what's working, I want to talk about some general misconceptions that the the public might have about uh, addiction, why the traditional methods that, as you said, have been around from the 50s just aren't working just don't work. And let's start there before we get into what you're doing that's different, that's helping people. So back in the day, they didn't really know much about alcoholism. Used to have uh, sentences like, oh, grandfather liked a drink, or hey, your dad liked, liked a drink, which basically from the research I've done means our dad and grandfather was alcoholic. So that's where it starts. There's so many myths in the industry. You know, oh, be careful how much you drink, you'll kill brain, say, brain cells in the brain. That's, that's not correct, you know, but people think that. So there was something else that I thought, rather than sticking somebody away in a 30-day treatment center, teaching them relapse prevention, a couple of classes on how to improve you, yourself, and throwing you out. And about 90% of people 20, 30, 40 years ago was relapsing on the way back from a treatment center. So then you've got to talk, if the disease centers in my brain, which it does, I have a remap brain from trauma at birth and trauma through my, through my younger lives, then that has a lot to do with the disease. So we traced it back again to the trauma. Now, fewer, very, 
I don't know, 60, 70% of people when they come to me, they say, I have no childhood trauma. Let me tell you, every alcoholic has trauma in their life. So then we look at what trauma is. What do you define as trauma? And I have, I have a great scenario that you can think through that just explains this. So me and my brother are stood on the kitchen table, for instance, and my mom walks in, and my mom knows it's not right for us to stand on the kitchen table. So she says to my brother, will you get down <laughs> off that table, you stupid idiot? That's what he hears, because that's what mom says. What I hear with my central nervous system jacked up and the trauma from, from early life, what I hear is, get down off that table now, is what I hear. So alcoholics hear things different. We're very sensitive, and we can often take something the way it's not supposed to be taken. Now, that alone, that piece alone I've just described has never been looked at before I got into the industry. Because everybody thinks that when an alcoholic picks up a drink, that's when he relapses. That's not true. It's usually a week or even two weeks before when my body starts to change, my attitude starts to change, and that right there is my relapse. And people don't understand that. So for instance, I'm sat in my office and I see Christine in July using a stupid Christmas pen that her mother bought her at Christmas. And I'm annoyed at that. That's a relapse for me. If I don't change self-sabotaging neural pathways to healthy neural pathways, I'm going to drink. So no alcoholic, as far as I know, has ever stopped when the thought comes, wants to start romancing the drinking. It's all off. The most intoxicating, again, research and studies by us, the most intoxicating part of a journey for an alcoholic is not the thought pattern to do it. It's not the drinking of the alcohol. It's the journey there. Isn't that crazy? It's the journey to pick it up. And how I come across that is what just before I came homeless, I'm stood outside a liquor store. They open at 10 o'clock. It's five o'clock in the morning. I'm stood there. This guy knows who I am. He's shopkeeper. I'm stood in a string vest, a pair of shorts, and a pair of flip-flops. It's snowing, and I'm sweating profusely because I know I'm going to go into DTs any second now, and I'm going to need to be hospitalized, or I'm going to die if I don't get alcohol inside me. So he opens the door, and he goes, hey, Rob, come on in. He's not supposed to serve alcohol, but it's how desperate he feels for me. I put my 10 pound on the counter this morning and he passed me the bottle of vodka and I grabbed hold of the bottle and went, <sighs> my sweating stopped, my shaking stopped, my headache went away and I'd not even opened the bottle. I was just grabbing the handle of it and there it hit me. It's not the alcohol. It's the way I think about alcohol. So then came the saying, it's not a drinking problem, it's a thinking problem. And I truly believe that. And I've changed the way addiction methods and recovery of alcoholic, alcoholics have changed because we have to concentrate. Most people concentrate on the alcohol. If we could just stop you drinking, that's 1% of the journey. What about when you get home? What do you want to be? Are you going to be the same old guy stuck in that one-bedroom apartment on $9 an hour? Or are you going to create an empire, which you are capable of with the addictive brain, and do something with your life you're proud of? And that's what we concentrate on. We put mom and dad back together, children back together. But it all comes from define alcoholism. Because if you was to ask most people that come on here, 
what's an alcoholic? They're all going to say the same thing, Dr. Richard, and that is somebody who drinks too much alcohol. And that's farthest from the truth you can't get. That's not true. One of the words you used as I was taking notes that was so interesting is you referred to it as this arena as an industry. And it is an industry for the wrong reasons. It's an industry because the system is set up and such and the interventions are set up as such to where there's financial incentive for an addiction center to have a revolving door of people who give them a rubber stamp, great news, you're cured. And then three weeks later, there they are again. Money rolls in, you know, and, you know I'm not going down a tinfoil hat road here, but that's the system. And, and I know this uh, as a clinician, I know this. So you've alluded to this several times, not only through your own anecdotal stories, but through some evidence-based practices that you're doing. I want you to take us through a deeper dive into how you do what you do and address as well, you know, the naysayers, because you said not everybody's accepting what you're doing because I, you know, it's only crazy until somebody starts doing it and it's proven that it works, right? Yes. Let's talk about that. Okay. So without getting into three hours of conversation, what we look at is we look at how the brain reacts and the trauma around that brain. Because as we discussed before, my, my brain is different, you know, to the guy next door to me. So we have to look at the only thing that's, that's from there, my hypothalamus, okay, which if you don't know, guys, is kind of at the base towards the back. It's a fight or flight part of the brain. And it will tell you to run or stay to eat food and drink water. That's why when babies are hungry, they stick their hand down their mouth as a newborn baby. It means it's hungry. We don't have to teach anybody that any human being knows the hypothalamus tells the alcoholic to drink alcohol now that might blow some people's minds but that's our research so that's why an alcoholic can go days if not weeks without eating or drinking water because my brain is telling me to drink alcohol so what's the solution for that if my if my the brain is telling me this is the way to survive until i die or cirrhosis or something crazy like that you'll have to look at neuropathways and when we go back and research, there are billions in the head, just in case anybody's wondering. Most of mine are self-sabotaging, which means that no matter what happens in my life, it always, always, guys, always ends in disaster. Because at the, the bottom line of alcoholism, based around these, these couple of things, I'm not good enough. I'll never be good enough. I'm not worthy. My mom and, sh- and dad didn't bring me up, right? They shouted at me. I got whatever it is will attach itself, their memories, and stored in the subconscious brain. Where the disease lives, by the way, that's why alcoholism will never come to you on a Monday and go, hey, Rob, let's have a drink today. It never does that. So it's stored in the subconscious brain. And just at the right time, the right moment, whatever's been stored there will flip over to the prefrontal cortex and you'll say drink. From then, all bets are off. So then we have to go back in the subconscious brain before we work on the, on the neural pathways, and we have to store in the subconscious brain good things about ourselves. Let's store the mirror work, which is I love you 10 times in the mirror every single day. Let's watch our internal dialogue, which kills people. You know, oh, I've dropped a pen on the floor, Rob. No, what a stupid idiot I've dropped. Stop, stop saying that. 
is what we tell our guys, because the brain will start to believe it and the mind will, will, will devastate every time. We don't need any other indicator with my brain. It will self-sabotage, no matter what I have. I'm driving to work in Dallas when we lived in Dallas. I have a brand new Porsche. I'm, I'm heading to my offices, which is the most elite offices in the whole of Texas, probably, in a medical building in, in, uh, in Highland Park, which is a very affluent area. I've just left my wife in the house and patted the dogs. I have a Rolex watch on a nice clothes. I'm driving there drinking my coffee, and the thought hit me, I hate my life. That's alcoholism. That's the, that's the actions and trauma and beliefs. My core belief is I'm never good enough. Today, Dr. Richard, today, when I speak anywhere, and my friends at first thought I was joking, but you have to follow me and be at the venue. I am throwing up all of the day. I am sick. I have a horrible feeling in my stomach, and I don't want to do it. And my guys take me there. My wife comes with me, and they have to say on the side of the stage, they have to give me a pet talk. You're the best on that. You're the best in the world at this addiction. But you're, you're, you're Dr. Rob Kelly. Do you understand? And I get a little bit fired up and I walk on and then it obviously goes and I do my job. But that's all addiction and alcoholism, alcoholism. And again, people go, what that, what's that got to do? Everything, everything has to do because of my trauma, my misbeliefs, my core beliefs and not like other people's. And that, is basically what alcoholism is. So changing all pathways, store with the subconscious brain, change the behavior. I've got to be nice to people today, which I love. Compliment uh, three people every day because that releases dopamine in my brain. And just be the good Samaritan most days and do the right thing, not the wrong thing, and not be selfish. And when we get all them things running together, which we call our program, it's impossible, Dr. Richard, to drink. Impossible once you do that. And that's, the, that's our solution. So how long have you been doing this in practice, Dr. Rob? 27, 28 years. And again, I, I know you teased him 15 minutes ago, but compared to the recidivism rates that are with general treatment type facilities, what are your outcome measures look like for the work that you're doing? 97, 98% is what we're doing. In fact, and this drives my wife, who's, who's the financial girl, drives her crazy. But I, I say to people, if, if I don't get you well and keep you well, I'll, I'll refund your money. Nobody does that, Dr. Richard, nobody. But that's how confident we are in what we do. This isn't a job, it's a passion. Every person that works with me is a recovered alcoholic or drug addict. Because unless you've been there, how can you teach somebody else to get there? You can't do it. You can't learn this in universities and schools. It's impossible. You have to know how I think to realize what I'm going through. Because when I want the alcohol, here's a scenario. I'm at home with my wife and the two children, very young, baby and probably one year old. I come down the stairs one day at two o'clock in the morning. I need a drink really badly. I know I've hit a bottle of vodka somewhere. So I go for that bottle of vodka. I find it and it was like winning the lottery. I put it on the side of the counter. I turned around for what seemed like a second to grab a crystal glass because, hey, I'm not a hobo. I'm not drinking from a bottle. When I turned around to pick the glass up, my wife had followed me downstairs and snatched a bottle. And she said, I think you've had enough, which was probably right, to be honest. I'd been drinking for 24 hours. I have a board meeting at the office in less than six hours. What I should have said was, yes, my dear, that makes sense. Go back to bed. 
What this alcoholic did was stabbed his wife three times and finished a bottle of vodka and then fled to Spain. That's not normal. But that's the way my, my brain used to work. That's alcoholism. I wonder if you could could briefly address how what's gone on in the world the last 12 months or so. It's probably an easy thing to say, well, people are more stressed, so there's more drinking or more drug use. But I get the feeling that you're going to tell me it's a little more nuanced than that. Well, to look at the stats straight away, 29% on average alcohol sales went up and people started all of a sudden working from home. Now, right there, the alcoholic and addict's favorite place is isolation. On my own, away from people, nobody can see me. So that's where most of the drinking took off from our research of the past 12 months. Panic, fear, uncertainty. Turn to the bottle to get rid of it. Get them next morning, it's still there. Turn to the bottle every single day. Most people in the last 12 months that come to us are surrounded and came from that world where it's going to end. We've got no choice here. There's no getting over this. Am I infected? And psychologically, if you get, if you get affected on one side, you know this, Dr. Richard, you can become ill. If you talk yourself into it and think that way, you can actually become ill. So yeah, it's the isolation. That's what it was. And, and people just couldn't handle it anymore. And the alcoholic and addict's best dream, uh, work from home. Oh my goodness, I wish you could work from home when I was drinking. It would have been far worse. But yeah, that, that's the situation. And now we're coming through the other end. There's people out there like me and you who are, who are giving uh, testimony that you can get through this and life's amazing and we can push on, you know? So that's, that's what we teach about pushing on. It's going to be amazing and, you know, it will soon pass, but we still have to be vigilant. But I'm a conspiracy theorist anyway, Dr. Richard, so you can't <laughs> think the noise what I say. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Well, this is this has flown by. And again, you know, I do if you're still here with us at the end, you know, know that, you know, even if you are not struggling with addiction, it's just so likely that somebody you care about at some point in their life will. So we're grateful to have you here. Dr. Rob, as you know, I wrap up every one of my episodes by asking my guests this one single question. What is your biggest helping? That one most important piece of information you'd like somebody to walk away with after hearing our conversation today? If you sat at home, guys, and you don't think you're worthy, and you don't think you're good enough, and you don't think you'll get out of your depression, I want to apologize to you. Somebody put that there. We are born with million dollar minds. Stop hanging around two cent minds. Get with your clique that push you forward. If people are not pushing you forward and applauding and backing you up when you want to go further, they're not your crew. Find your own crew, guys. Well said. Well said. Dr. Rob, where can people find you online? So uh, Dr. Rob Kelly on any search engine, I spell my name with two B's, R-O-B-B-K-E-L-L-Y.com is the website. Uh, just give a, an engine search or whatever you want to do. You'll find me, text me, you know, call me, do whatever you want. And listen, guys, I really want to say this from my heart. This show is absolutely amazing. So I'm going to do this for this show. Okay, guys, so listen up. It's all about communication. It's all about talking to people. If you're sat at home now thinking your life's going to come to an end, I will give you a pep talk in five or 10 minutes that will change your life. Why don't you call me on my personal cell phone number, which is 214-600-0210. Never going to try and sell you anything. In fact, you're never going to come on here. We, we're full right now. But if you need a few words of advice, 
if, you, if your kids are going through it or your parents or wife's going through it, call me. 10 minutes advice or 10 minute pet talk will change your life. It's not going to cost you anything. It's us giving back to the community to saying, hey guys, we're here for you. Outstanding. Thank you for that, Dr. Rob. And we'll have links to everything that Dr. Rob was talking about in the show notes at thedailyhelping.com. So Dr. Rob, this has been insightful. Your story is powerful. Thank you for the work you're doing and thank you for coming on The Daily Helping today. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. It was awesome. Absolutely. And I want to thank each and every one of you who were listening to this show. If you like what you heard, go give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts because that's what helps other people find the show. But most importantly, go out there today and do something nice for somebody else, even if you don't know who they are, and post it in your social media feeds using the hashtag MyDailyHelping because the happiest people are those that help others. 